0: When you go on your computer and you type an address in your browser, let's say you type www.google.com, right? What does it mean, www.google.com? What happens behind the scene? How is your data transmitted? How do you even find what server, what, what website you want to connect to? And how you make sure that your data goes to the right destination? And how that destination knows you and sends the result back to you?
1: You're listening to What the Tech, a podcast powered by the Computer Science Department of UCalgary. Here to deconstruct complex computer science concepts, bit by bit, and explain what the tech is going on.
2: My name is Paolo. My name is Lynn. In this episode, we talk to Majid Ghaderi, a professor at UCalgary whose teaching and research focuses on computer networks. Today, we learn the basics of networks. We also discuss what the tech is up with the Internet of Things, and how it spans from smart home usage all the way to industrial applications. Without further ado, please welcome our guest, Majid Kaderi. Welcome
1: Majid to the show. Uh, nice to have me on the show. Um, let's start off with what are you currently doing? Um, and we can always unpack some stuff later, but um, what
0: are you currently doing? Any projects? So my, my general uh, area of research is uh, in computer networking area. And and, uh, so in this broader area, uh, currently I'm focusing on two main subdomains. So one of them is in cloud computing area, and specifically I am looking at uh, data centers and networks that connect data centers over wide areas. So you look at the type of work that I do in that area, it's mostly design of algorithms so you have these data centers, you want to uh, send some data from one data center to another data center. How do you schedule your data? How do you schedule your transmissions over which path at what time? So that for example, you minimize the amount of delay that it takes to send this data. So it's mostly about design of algorithms and optimization of networking protocols in that area. Then I have the second subdomain, which is mostly applied Mm -hmm. and and I call it system research. And and that subdomain is mostly focused on Internet of Things or or IoT. Now, in in that area, uh, the kind of projects that I have, uh, so one of them is uh, we just finished one of them The student defended uh, last week uh, was uh, related to uh security of of home iot devices, so we call it a smart home. Then I have another project uh, which is a little bit longer term project on using iot for uh, environment monitoring mm-hmm. and, and the whole idea is you you throw a bunch of these devices in in let's say in your garden and and then you let them monitor let's say the soil uh, uh, moisture level for you, right? And then you have a backend system that, that receives the data, analyze it for you, show it to you. So so that's the general context uh, of, of that project that I think we will come back to it. Uh, the third project is, again, in the security area, but this one is more on industrial IoT.
1: Mm.
0: And, and the whole notion is... Uh, uh, you had an isolated network in your factory to to manage your your factory operations. Let's say this was a refinery. You had all kinds of sensors to to monitor uh, pressure, let's say fluid pressure or or fluid level in some tank or whatever. Right. So they were isolated networks, and and now with with the emergence of IoT, uh, people have started to connect those isolated networks. To the general internet, so oh, okay. that's the yeah. third project that I have in in IoT area. So, so just to give you a summary, basically two subdomains: the cloud computing area, which is mostly on on the theoretical side, and the Internet of Things area, which is mostly on the applied side.
2: Awesome! That's, that's so cool.
0: That's great! Wow! So we got we got tons of stuff
2: to talk about, kind of throughout the episode here, um, just in that little kind of introduction yeah, uh thank you but but before we get into uh maybe some of those specific things uh we kind of want to know a little bit about um how you kind of got into the computer science world um mm-hmm. uh, we noticed that you did a um, bachelor's of science at uh, the sharif university of mm-hmm. technology yeah yeah uh, in iran yeah that's right cool um so how did you get into computer uh technology and and uh you know it was yeah. a bachelor's in science general science i believe right
0: uh, so similar to computer science, uh, but what they would call it, they would call it computer engineering. Uh, so it's a little bit different terminology here. When we talk about computer engineering, we are mostly uh, talking about the hardware side of computers. And right. computer science is mostly concerned about the software algorithm side of the computer. And and so my, my undergrad degree was in... Uh, Computer engineering, but it's very much equivalent to computer science here. And then I did my master's also in Sharif in software engineering. Cool. Mm. But my focus was on theoretical computer science. So really just theoretical algorithms for what they call it, parallel processing. So that was my master's thesis. And then I, I, I got uh, admission for PhD, computer science department at, at Waterloo. Um, so I went there, and, and here is the, the interesting part. I was supposed to go to operating systems. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I was supposed to go to operating system. That's what I thought I, I was interested. I was very much into low-level system programming. Like, right. I always thought that I will end up in operating systems, but uh, for some reason, um, uh, the, the prof who admitted me, he was in networking area. Ah. Oh. So I ended up in networking area, and then I, I thought I liked it so so I went to networking group uh, uh, in computer science at, at Waterloo I did my PhD there and then uh, I went for postdoc to University of Massachusetts Amherst in in US so oh, I wow. did, uh, I did um, uh, uh, about half a year less than a year postdoc there so with uh, with with um, uh, uh, basic networking group there, and then I, I got the position here in Calgary in 2007. Oh, perfect. I remember, I came for interview in May. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I was obviously in Waterloo like for, for about five years. So, I, I was Canadian weather wasn't uh, anything surprising to me. But, <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> but I came. For interview in May, I remember it was May second that I came for interview, and it was a snowing in Calgary. So no, even no. for me, that was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, I, I, I don't think we ever had anything like that at least in Ontario in in Waterloo area.
1: Yeah, yeah. totally.
0: Yeah. So I came for interview. I did the interview, and and I I, I got uh, the position. And so basically, I started. Uh, here in in calgary in july 2007 so i have been here for almost 13 years now awesome uh, about i I believe two years ago that i was promoted to to full uh professor so you started as assistant professor then then you go for associate professor and then eventually you are promoted to full professor so right now, I'm um, uh, a full professor of computer science at the University of
2: Calgary. Well, that's amazing. That's that so cool. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I just want to kind of go back even just like right before or a little bit before your, uh, your undergrad really quickly here. Um, so what, when did you first kind of know that you wanted to go into computer science, right? like mm-hmm. What was your first kind of maybe interaction with a computer or the first moment where you were like, I want yeah. to go do computer science?
0: yeah so, so that that's the, the interesting part in in iran uh, at least my time it was like this uh, to go to universities at least to to publicly funded universities which are the the good universities are the publicly funded universities right uh, there is an entrance exam there is a national entrance exam so all Students who who pass their diploma, then they go to this national entrance exam, they will all be ranked. Uh, So it's, it's, it's the same exam at the same time across the country. And they rank you. And then based on your rank, you get to choose the programs. Oh, wow. And generally, there is an expectation of what the ranking of the programs are. Right. Is it wasn't really so much I can tell you about what are really your interests as opposed to look, if if you do good on this test, you are expected to go to these areas, right? Uh, oh wow, interesting. Yeah. But yeah. but here is the interesting part. At my time, if if you were doing good, you were supposed to go to electrical engineering. Hmm. Right. So you have to go to electrical engineering, <laughs> but I didn't go to electrical engineering. Ah. I, I believe the reason was, and and this is uh, interesting. When 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 I was at high school, um, we had a physics teacher, a very cool guy, very good teacher, absolutely amazing teacher. And 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 after all these years, we are still in touch,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he's now in Canada, by the way. Uh, so. So we had this uh, young uh, physics guy who who was just graduated from the university so he was into all this uh uh like mainframe programming and 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 writing uh, uh there was a language called um, uh Fortran that yes. is mostly for for engineering computational type programming and and he was always talking about oh how he did This cool program in, in his thesis, like he had a master's degree in physics and, and he solved this major problem using Fortran and how nice it was. And, and he was always telling us the stories about computers and how the future will be all about computers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's really the motivation. We had a, a computer programming course in high school and and those computers like atari based computers like i mean uh, they, they were like uh, ancient uh, at the <laughs> time but, but the programming course wasn't actually so much of a motivation mm-hmm. than the physics teacher uh, <laughs> really so much enthusiastic about computers and had this vision and i think uh he was such a good teacher that that uh, uh, that that's how I got really motivated to to go to computer. So even though I was expected to go to electrical engineering, I, I decided to go to computer engineering, which which was considered like uh, not as prestigious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but- so, but, but that's uh, what I did. I, I could have got easily to electrical engineering. Like I had yeah. the, the qualification to go to any program, but, but that's how I ended up in computer engineering. Oh. Well, I'm glad that you're here then.
1: So let's uh, kind of jump into the uh, kind of topic section of the episode and talk about uh, computer networks. And uh, so what are the basic concepts
0: people need to know to understand networks? So we have uh, uh, we have an undergraduate uh, course on computer networks in in the department. It's uh, called uh, CPSC four four one Computer Networks, and and if I want to give you a quick intro to computer networks, really I think what we teach in that course that's the basically the best starting point. And I will give you a a condense extremely <laughs> condensed. Summary of of what it is. Sure. We really, in that course, talk about when you go on your computer and you type an address in your browser, let's say you type www.google.com, right? Mm -hmm. First, what that address means. What does it mean, Mm www.google.com? We talk about it. Second, what happens behind the scene? Now, when when you see a web page coming to your your browser, and then maybe you enter some information, you click a button, it goes and comes back with results. What is actually happening behind the scene? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How is your data transmitted? How do you even find what server, what, what website you want to connect to? and how you make sure that your data goes to the right destination, and how that destination knows you and sends the result back to you.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so
0: really, that's what we discuss in that course, right? So so to, to give you a little bit more about what is happening behind the scene, mm-hmm. so you type this address, right? This address is going to be translated using a distributed system that that runs globally in the internet. Mm-hmm. That name is going to be distributed to be mapped to a numeric address. Every single computer in the world that wants to communicate with other computers over the internet is supposed to have an address. It's mm. like a phone number, right? Right. So, know your name, I go to a phone book, for example, all days, right? Yeah. <laughs> I find the phone number that associated to your name, right? Mm-hmm. Same idea here. You type the name of the website. There is a system behind the scene that maps it to the address of that website. We call it the internet protocol address. So awesome. IP address, right? Yes. So that's the numeric address. And really to communicate over the internet, all you need are those IP addresses. When you have the IP addresses, then whatever data that you have, it will be put into a smaller packages of data. It's, imagine these are like like uh, envelopes. Okay, and yep. then you get to the stamp them with the destination address. Yes. Which website, you, you already found the IP address. You also put your own address, similar to how you send a mail, right? You mm-hmm. have the, the recipient, you have the sender, right? So you create this package. You, basically, when I say you, all the, the software that is running on your computer behind the scene, right? It creates this package, and then it sends it. Then it goes to your ISP you are connected to, for example, SHA, right? right. Yeah. Or, yeah. It goes to their machines. Their machines receive it. And this is the interesting part. It's really like the mailing sort facilities, right? Hmm. The machine receives uh, your, your package. It looks, oh, what is the destination address? Okay, it's this number. Now, how do I send it to this number? Should I send it? I am connected to so many other switching centers or sorting centers, to which one should I send it, right? They have some algorithms, we call them routing algorithms. They run the routing algorithms, and imagine it's like a map, you want to go from one city to another city, you run Google Maps, it tells you these are the potential uh, paths, and, mm-hmm. and this is the shortest one, right? Oh, so it finds them, it chooses the shortest one, it sends it to the next city. <laughs>
1: yeah. ah. The
0: next city, In this case, the next system, the next uh, switching system receives it. Then again, it looks and it says, oh, maybe I should now send it to this one. Maybe I should send it to this one. So so it it is forwarded, 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 and eventually it reaches the destination website. Now, when it is there, the website uh, reads whatever is inside this package. We call them packets. And then it processes, it does whatever it has to do. It generates a response. Now it has to send the response back to you, right? Right. But you send that package, you included your address. So the Mm. website knows who is the recipient. It Mm. basically goes through the reverse process. It creates a package with the, the results that you wanted, and then it sends it back and often it actually travels on the same path and comes back to you again and then your browser receives it 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 will read the data and it will display it on the screen to you this is really uh very very high level but but if you want i can talk a little bit more maybe about technical terms um, because when i said it goes to switching centers there is no such thing as a switching center When you look at internet, the way it works, we have what we call end systems. And end systems are really like your laptop. Right. Your cell phone, whatever that we as users use to run applications that work on the internet. These Mm -hmm. are what we call them end systems. End systems, okay. And then we have the core of the internet. The core is a set of what we call routers. Routers are very much like big computers, but all they do, they receive these packets that have destination address, right? Sender address and receiver address. Mm -hmm. They receive these packets and they, they form a big connected mesh, right? And they figure out by running those routing algorithms to reach to each particular destination, how they should forward these packets through the mesh. Right? Yeah. So, so you think about internet, imagine there is an internet interconnected mesh of routers and you are connected to one of these routers. These, for example, if you are connected to SHA, Shaw has one of those routers. From your home, you are connected to that router. So all you have to do, you send your data to that router, that router is connected to to all the other routers in the internet globally. And Mm -hmm. you figure out by running the routing algorithms how to route your packets to send them to the destination. So we have the the edge of the internet, which are the end systems that run the applications. Then we have the core, which is an interconnected mesh of routers. And the routers run routing algorithms to find paths and send data from one end system to another end system
1: that's crazy yeah there's so much going on here i never really realized that yeah it's that next step that uh you're mentioning as the end user you don't realize that you're actually in touch with all of these other points in between you just think that oh I'm typing in Google in my browser, and I'm going straight to Google. Like, no, there's there's all of these extra other steps, and it's kind of amazing, right, to see how fast it's it's come. Um, even now, you search something on Google, and it literally shows you how fast the, they give you the search results. Right? They they say, oh, we've given you a million search results in point zero 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 whatever it is seconds. Crazy, how much is going on there
0: yeah, like imagine so the, again, like I have read this, but I, I don't know if, if it is entirely true or not, but but people claim that internet is the most complicated, most sophisticated engineering project ever mm, yeah, like when you look at the number of pieces and components that that work together and how much complexity is involved. Uh, to, to, to send some data from one end system to another system. Like it's, it, it's just uh, uh, amazing. Like how many intermediate nodes are involved like to, to get from one point to another point. And if anything goes wrong, uh, it, it will break the end-to-end path. And it's still it, it's designed so that you see like, it's very rare that, that you want to connect and you don't have connectivity, right? uh so so that that's that's i think uh one of the really achievements of 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 uh like um, humans right? like if, if you think about it and how much it has changed our lives right we do yeah. i mean look at it especially during the pandemic, right we do meetings online, shopping online, i mean businesses right? like <laughs> all of it is going online, and this is all because of the internet. If there was no internet just imagine what would happen yeah yeah if, if there's
2: one thing that i'm taking away from this is that the internet is just like a giant mailing system like canada post or something and that's just such an awesome kind of image to me yeah <laughs> that's so cool yeah
1: very very good analogy the the mailing system and so um going into your kind of specific research here you know we're cut co- we've covered a kind of the basic network stuff mm-hmm. um you talk about you know, designing and optimizing mm-hmm. networks and, and your algorithms for that. Um, I guess from a high level, how do you go about designing or even optimizing these networks?
0: Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so there is a history behind it, like how we started with the internet, right? Uh, so, so we had the telephone network. The idea was, uh, can we... Uh, build a network so that machines can can communicate with each other and we want it to be resilient if there is a disaster or war or whatever. We we don't want it to break down. We want it to to be resilient. So so that was the, the starting point actually from military perspective, right? And, and and it was funded mainly by by the US Department of Defense. Uh, Initially, a few universities were connected together, and then they started to open it up to the rest of the world. But if we go back to when we say internet was born, it has an architecture, what are different pieces of the system and how they work, which I described for you, then it has a number of software components that implement the architecture. We call them protocols. protocols of the internet. Now, when you look at internet, there are two major protocols that are responsible for most of the communication in the internet. One of them is called IP, internet protocol. Mm -hmm. And the other one is uh, a protocol called transmission control protocol or TCP. TCP. Right, because these are the main building blocks of the internet, and when we go back to the birth of the internet, usually people talk about uh, when these two protocols were pro- were proposed for the first time, which is around 1970 something. So we are talking about almost right? almost 50 years now, right? <laughs> 40 to 50 years now since the internet was designed. Yeah, imagine what kind of applications. They were thinking about at that time, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe sending a few bytes from one computer to another. Nobody was thinking about live video conferencing <laughs> or, or, or video streaming or anything like that or internet. Mm. Thing. So the system was designed based on their idea at that time, but, but it has really stood the test of time, right? Um, yeah. We constantly create new applications and they work on the same system. Problem is, because system was not designed for these specific type of applications, there are a lot of inefficiencies in the system. Mm. Unfortunately, Mm. we can't do anything about it. The scale of the system is so huge that we can't just go and change one component and ask everybody to, to switch to this new component overnight Yeah. Interesting. Right? yeah. Is, if I give you an example, the IP addresses the IP addresses are 32 bit numbers with 32 bit numbers, you can, you can have uh, four billion addresses We have run out of four billion addresses at this point. Oh wow, meaning <laughs> that we don't really have new IP addresses. it's. Like, we run out of phone numbers. We don't have phone numbers to give to anybody. Mm. Now with phone numbers, we use them human. So we can go and, and add another new area code, like and just increase the pool of IP addresses. Mm. With this one, if we are going to change this, the old machines that are running already in the internet, they won't be able to understand it. So mm. we can't just go and change. So uh. people are talking about a new version of the IP protocol is called IPv6, if you hear it. And with IPv6, the length of the IP addresses is 128 bits.
1: So oh, no way.
0: Number of addresses. Problem is, we can't force everybody to switch to this protocol overnight. Mm-hmm. So, as far as I remember, we have been talking about IPv6, but really, it's not yet that popular in the internet. Uh. So so that's the problem. It's really a victim of of its own success. It is so popular that now it's very difficult to go and change it. Like it's it's very difficult to do it. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do really, when, when you ask about how do we optimize these systems, a lot of the optimization happens in the area of new systems that are built based on the old systems. For example, I talk about data centers, right, and data center networking. So so what is really a data center? A data center is like a building that you have installed thousands of computer servers, right, in that single room, in that single building, you see. So really, it's like a local computer network, but with huge number of computers in it, right. Now... When I have my local area network, as, as long as I am inside my local area network, I can do whatever I want. I don't need to follow anything from the internet. It's like when you are at your home, you can give yourself, let's say, nicknames, right? Mm-hmm. Your your siblings or your friends, you can call them whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. But when you go outside, you want to go to university, you have to go by the official name. Yeah. So same idea here. Usually when we are in our local area network, we can do whatever we want. As Mm -hmm. as soon as we go outside to talk to other local area networks, we want to talk to the core of the internet, then we have to follow the standard protocol. A lot of the optimization and designs happens for the local area network. And especially these days, uh, data centers, you can think of them as local area networks. So so you can design protocols that are now very efficient for these type of systems that we did not think about them 10 years ago. And so the protocols that we have, generic protocols that are in the internet, are not really efficient when you use them in, in such a setting, a local area network with thousands of machines, mm-hmm. they are not efficient in this setting. So we are going to replace them with very much new protocols that are more efficient. And this will be fine. This is the nice thing about the Internet. The whole idea is why we call it Internet. It means a, a network of networks. That's really what Internet is. Mm-hmm. We have a large number of these local area networks, imagine about it, right? And these are connected together through this giant shared core, right? Yeah. And the success really was in your local area network, you can do whatever you want. But only when you want to connect to the rest, you have to follow this standard language, right? That was really the recipe for the success of the internet. And Mm -hmm. we use the same recipe to optimize the the local networks and then when we go to the global internet we will follow the protocols that were designed in from the old.
2: That's so wow. cool and 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 so um, I guess I guess we're talking mm-hmm. about these like old protocols that kind of need to be updated and up and upgraded. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, in your opinion, is that something that maybe might be inhibiting um, this whole idea of like expanding the Internet of Things? Like, do you think that if we had better protocols today, our our Internet of Things would be a lot
0: Bigger. Uh, so uh, just let me give you an example, uh, uh, maybe a more intuitive example. Look at security, right? Okay. When internet was designed, there was no consideration of security. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we didn't have attackers, <laughs> there was no internet <laughs> to begin with, right? So security is not built in in the internet. Now we have to add it after the fact, and mm-hmm. we have all these problems, right? because it wasn't designed. The same thing with Internet of Things. Internet was designed assuming that there are computers, powerful computers, that run these complicated protocols to send data to each other. Mm-hmm. And, and over time, when it evolved, we were always thinking there are servers, there are laptops, right, and these are powerful machines, and they want to, to stream video or lots of data. Now you come to Internet of Things, and suddenly we have devices that actually are, in terms of processing capability, are very weak compared mm-hmm. to your average laptop, desktop, like they can't really run complicated protocols. They don't need to send a lot of data. They send maybe a little bit of data every few hours, right? <laughs> this is a temperature sensor, right? Yeah. And we have a huge number of them, so, Look at the IP addresses. The first problem is, oh, wait a minute. We are talking about 20, 30 billion IoT devices. How -hmm. do we get all these IP addresses to assign to them? But we don't have it. We never thought we are going to have these many devices, right? Yeah, yeah. So the architecture wasn't designed really to deal with this diversity of devices. Now people are talking about streaming, like. Uh, holographic pictures over the internet and you need like gigabit per second bandwidth with extremely oh. low delay for that kind of application. Yeah. And we are talking about using IoT, which is you want to send little bit of data, right? Yeah. So we are we are going from something like Uh, requirements of sending a few bits per second to sending a few gigabit per second. Mm -hmm. And the same system has to support it. It's like you go to a highway and some people are driving at 200 kilometers an hour and you have some people who are driving at 10 kilometers an hour. And you have three lanes,
2: right?
0: Imagine what a mess it will create, right? I mean, we live it right now. The Crowchild
2: Trail bridge um, <laughs> construction has been going on for um, probably as long as the internet's been going on. but uh...
1: I guess to backtrack though, um, this might be just like super basic, but we never actually even covered what IOt in its essential form, what what IOT even is. Mm-hmm. Um, could you describe what IOT even is?
0: Yeah, so, so really the idea is uh, the, what we call internet. For a long time, we were always thinking about these relatively powerful machines, like computers, right? That, that have uh, reasonable capabilities to run these complicated protocols to talk to each other, right? That was the idea. There is something like a computer that that we use with an operating system, all kinds of applications, browser, email, and so on. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly we got to now this new area which says, oh, wait a minute. It doesn't need to be a computer. It doesn't need to have a human sitting behind this. This could be any day object. It could be your shoe. It It could be your glass. It could be... Your, your headphone, it could be your fridge, it could be your toaster, right? Why does it need to be a computer? Why does it need to have a human sitting behind it and sending these commands? I mean, the the, the traditional model was mainly, yes, these are computers, but actually there are humans sitting behind these computers. Mm-hmm. and communicating, with I am watching YouTube video. It's not my computer that is watching YouTube video, right? right? I'm sending the email. I am doing online shopping. I am doing the search, right? I am reading this news website. So we have gone away from this model that if I can, all I need for this, let's say, fridge, all I need is really a small internet chip Right? that that can talk the same language as, as this laptop. And then I can connect it to internet. Right? <laughs> and and maybe, maybe it has some good use, right? Like maybe a minimum, for example, I can connect to my fridge remotely over the internet because now this fridge talks the same language that these other machines talk over the internet. Mm-hmm. So suddenly I can access it from wherever i am before i had to be in my kitchen physically go open the door and do something with my fridge right mm. but now i don't need to be that. i can be anywhere in the world right yeah. and my my fridge really is connected to the internet and i can access it right that's so cool this is the main idea behind internet of things yeah think things right all we need if if there is anything that can be connected to this system internet, we will connect it to the internet. Right? Mm. This is the idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I have a bunch of kind of like these things at home, even like uh, Alexa, turn off my studio. You see? And yeah, Alexa, <laughs> turn on my studio. So I I, I kind of have a, a bunch of th- that already. And and so that, that's that's really fun, all of these Kind of household uh, applications for it, um, um, not just
0: household. Right? I not not just household. I, I talk about industrial Internet of Things, right? And it comes really like uh, to to in like for home, like let's call it a smart home, right? So we have all kinds of devices and applications. And as I told you, when it comes to industry, especially manufacturing, um, they had their own systems. For long, I mean, security, reliability are, are extremely important in those settings. So, right. so there are special purpose-built devices that are designed for those settings uh, to work reliably and, and, and quite secure by, by isolating them from the internet. Mm-hmm. At your home, if, if you call your uh, lights to turn on and, and you have to call twice, nothing bad is going to happen, right? But mm-hmm. if this is a critical um, process, let's say in a refinery and, and, and uh, it has to, let's say, increase or decrease the, the flow, Uh, in in this pipe, like it could have major consequences, right? I mean, you can't tolerate anything like this. So that's the reason there was a a completely separate ecosystem when it comes to to industrial settings. But but it means that the cost is also high, because you have to design and develop an independent system for those settings. And with with IoT, what, what is happening is people are saying, wait a minute, the consumer grade devices, have become now so much advanced, right? And they have all these extra functionality to to connect them to internet and work with them. Can mm-hmm. we bring some of that technology to industrial domain?
2: Right, mm-hmm. and and I can imagine that that comes with a whole like out of just like other challenges, right? Cause you know, in the home, Right, you get locked in your house, burns down. Okay, like uh, tragic, obviously terrifying, obviously. Um, but uh, I can't imagine like you know backos and uh, cranes just like going off on their own
0: and just. <laughs> yeah. well, own. Let me give you an example now, right? Uh, uh, so it's actually becoming an an, an extremely important area. Uh, uh, a lot of what they call critical infrastructure that that they use IoT and now they are being connected to the internet. Uh, imagine this could be a nuclear power plant. This yeah. could be a, a power generation facility, right? Yeah. It could be your car. Do you know that that average car has about 75 uh, small devices that form a network and they communicate with each other? Oh, that's mm. crazy! <laughs> and these days, these days, car manufacturers are talking about connecting them to the internet, and a lot of them are actually connected to internet. Right. Tesla. Yeah. Tesla, yeah. Not, not just Tesla. And if you go and do a search, you will find instances and they actually have videos. For example, this particular model of Jeep, right? That that they mm-hmm. were able to remotely infiltrate the, the local network on the car and accelerate. Oh. oh. Accelerate <laughs> your throttle system, right? No way. So you think you are pushing on, on the brake the system somebody has taken control overriding it and accelerating. Oh my no. oh, goodness. <laughs> this is realistic. This right. is, I mean if you go and do a search after this you will see that oh this is actually realistic. There are cases, there are demonstrations and you look at the type of security conferences that, that hacker type people attend they do a lot of demonstrations and, and talks about this system, <laughs> how to infiltrate them, the, the, the software tools that you need to do it. Right? Oh. As, as I said, uh, before, it used to be your car had these, all these components, but they were not talking to anything outside. They were in your car. So to, to take control of your car, somebody had to physically take control of your car right now, are connected to the internet why because of so many other useful things that they can do with it right yeah date your your control system remotely and so on but it opens the door for these kind of problems
1: yeah there's a lot of pros and cons obviously with any of these technologies uh covered a lot today we, have, <laughs> we really have uh, if you're okay with maybe we can cover a little bit of your pine beetle environmental monitoring thing um yeah how how did you kind of get into this whole project um around environmental monitoring
0: uh, so so I had for a long time uh, uh, doing projects on uh, using sensors for environment monitoring so sensor networks and and now we have the internet of things with with the beetle project specifically beetle was a major issue especially in, in in Canada and also in the in, in the US like uh, mm-hmm. Uh, There is the infestation, and and, then it's expanding. You look at the the aerial maps and and, uh, pictures uh, about the the infestation. Again, you see huge areas of of, of forest that that have died because of these insects. Mm -hmm. To control it, here is the problem. If, If this is your garden you can go and check it every day, right? I mean, you have maybe a flower and, and you are worried that maybe some uh, beetle or bug will come on your flower. You can go and check it every day. not every, But
2: mm-hmm. what
0: do you do with the scale of forest? Yeah. <laughs> of how do you actually control pest infestation in forest in that scale? I mean, you can't. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you do? And the idea is, so we have these uh, small devices. Uh, we attach sensors to them these sensors uh initially we started with with microphones and oh. then move to vibration sensors here is the thing beaters when they are actively attacking a tree they generate sounds they mm. actually generate sounds i mean we are talking about obviously like very very weak sounds right. but, but the, the range of frequencies goes even beyond the range that we can hear humans mm. can so it's, it's high frequency sound right. and, and, and you need a special type of microphone to be able to detect them uh, and it's not specific to, to mountain pine beetle, a lot of bugs uh, generate this kind of uh, like high frequency sound oh. and also when, when they attack a tree, they start chewing on the tree, mm. oh, yeah, chewing creates vibration, yeah. we are talking about very faint vibration. <laughs> but if you have have extremely sensitive devices that can capture vibration then you can actually pick up those vibrations Mm -hmm. interesting I have a sensor that say inside the bark of the tree and there are vibrations then i can pick them up like those Mm -hmm. vibrations right but they are very faint vibrations so so here is now what we have we have this a small device it has batteries, so you can put it wherever you like. And it has a communication chip on it. It can send data over a few kilometers. Okay. So so we can put a few of these devices in every area that we are interested. Obviously, you won't be able to cover the entire forest. But right. looking at those pictures, you have identified areas that are sensitive Now, what is the option? You keep sending people every week to go and check, but it's not really possible, right? I mean, these are difficult places to get to. These are not your typical hiking trail. Right, right. And (laughs) you need need a lot of resources. So, So rather than doing it manually, what we are saying is that you have identified the sensitive areas. You want to see if there is any special activity around them. So you deploy some of these devices, and then you will install... A, a receiving a station a few kilometers away devices have are equipped with, with these sensors for we started with, with uh, like uh, uh, microphones like uh, ultrasound microphones and now we move to to vibration sensors mm-hmm. they pick up vibrations they have the the transmission chip on them they receive the data they send it to your station the station will send it to another server uh, that, that could be running, let's say, at the university or, or somewhere. And then you mm-hmm. start analyzing these signals that you are receiving to see you know what kind of pattern you are looking for when these beetles are active. So you receive these uh, samples, and then you look inside to find out if you see anything that resembles those patterns. And if you see, then you, you raise an alert. And then whoever is in charge of forest management, they can maybe send... Crews to go there and actually check, as opposed to just sending them on a goose chase like every let's say week. That that they can obviously, yeah. can, right? They right. Can Maybe every season or something, but mm-hmm. but with this, and we are even thinking about to to attract beetles, right? Maybe maybe to attach some bait. They are attracted by by a specific, uh, like pheromones, uh, right? So uh-huh. some to, to attach some bait, right? Yeah. To, attract them actually to your device. So so if, if you are attaching your, your device to this particular tree, then they will be attracted there. So if they are in the area, they will be attracted to you. You have a bunch of these devices. And and, and all you have to do at the beginning of the season, you install them at the end of the season. You remove them, maintain them for the next season, right? And, and maybe devices, they, they run on battery, So you have to be careful about how much Actually, they do, right? The, the right. bacteria die in a day. So, so they wake up, let's say, every hour. They take a sample. Is there anything interesting in this sample? Yes. Okay, send it to the central control system for processing. Mm-hmm. No, I don't see anything interesting in the sample. So go back to sleep. <laughs> so yeah. really, really that, that's the idea with the beetle project.
1: That's, That's so,
2: cool. so cool. That is so <laughs> cool. All right. Yeah. So I guess uh, if you could kind of maybe sum up our conversation that we had today, um, you know, in a couple of sentences, uh, how would you, and then also if you could just provide one piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be relating to
0: our topic today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think that the takeaway is um, uh, the, the communication area, right? Like, this seems to be um, it, it seems that our life, our lives will be more and more dependent on internet-based communication. Mm. So this is this is what what I see. And I think the importance of this area uh, will actually increase over time. Uh, something like the pandemic happens and and uh, remote work and so on and this all depends on having good communication system right? and and i think i think this trend will not stop even after the pandemic i think we are moving toward this direction so uh, all kinds of devices very much our life will be online on the internet um, so we have to learn how to use these systems to do something good and useful with them and how to do it properly. Right. There are so many issues, security, privacy, efficiency, and so on that we have to deal. So, so that, that will be my takeaway. And, and, and in terms of a message, let's say if, if this is for students and they are listening to this, Uh, I think the networking area is is quite interesting in the sense that there are a variety of of different types of work that you can do in this area. You can do completely programming type projects that you build a system and, and you deploy it and you actually see how it works. Or you can be futuristic, like, how do I redesign the systems? How do I optimize this system? Right. So I think, I think that's my message for the students that that take a closer look at, at, at this area. Don't be scared that a lot of people, I think, they say they don't know much about the networking, so they don't want to get in the, into the area, but that's the interesting part of it. If you go to an area that you already know it, what's the point? Yeah. You should go to an area that you think you don't know it, but you think there is a lot to learn, and it's going to be actually useful because there is no system these days, <clears throat> there is no software, there is no application that does not rely on communication and internet. Mm. So it's good to to learn and know about these systems, how they work and and how they fit together and how to use.
1: That's awesome, yeah. And hopefully today's episode will be a good uh, kind of starting point for any of these aspiring students who want to learn a little bit more. Yeah, and and speaking of learning more, um, if people want to, find you or your work or learn more about what
0: we talked about today um where can they go right, use the internet just search for my name the, the first link that will come up will be my homepage at the university uh it has my contact information my email a list of my publications and uh yeah that that's that's the best thing to do
1: there you go yeah awesome and to learn about the internet you got to use the internet <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much, Majid, for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to What the Tech, a podcast powered by the Computer Science Department of UCalgary. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow us on Instagram at C underscore cpsc for more computer science content. If you have any questions or want to suggest future episode topics, you can also visit anchor.fm/whatthetech-ucalgary. There, you can leave us a voice message with your questions for a chance to get featured in future episodes. Thanks again for listening. Join us next week for another episode of What the Tech.